What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to another edition of NFL University, the show where we educate you on all things across the National Football League. I'm Steven Serta of Arrowhead Pride. NFL University is brought to you by DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use code SBNNFL for a special offer when you sign up. That's code SBNNFL only at the DraftKings Sportsbook. So on last week's episode, we talked about some of our favorite year two breakout candidates as we head into organized team activities. Mini camp, training camp is, you know, a couple months away, but we're in the thick of the NFL offseason. So on this week's episode, we're going to talk about some year two flame out candidates, like some players that, you know, might not really live up to their draft stock or, or just maybe aren't aren't cut out to find significant roles on their respective teams across the NFL. So we'll get into that. But let me welcome in Kyle Posey of Niners Nation, as well as Justice Mosqueda of Acme Packing Co. And we begin today's show with the 23rd lawsuit that has been filed against Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson. That was earlier in the week. And now attorney Tony Busby adds that there is a 24th lawsuit on the way. It has not been officially filed, but they are expecting there to be a 24th lawsuit. And obviously we've talked about this stuff with Deshaun Watson a ton. Browns head coach Kevin Stefanski spoke with the media today and gave a lot of non-answers uh, about Deshaun Watson and his status with the NFL. But the reason I bring this up this week is because it just seems more and more apparent to me, and I don't know how you guys feel, that Deshaun Watson's just going to have to be suspended for the entire upcoming NFL season. Like I just don't see how the NFL can truly justify him playing any single game this year. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it, and – we were, I think we were leaning towards the lower end where, and by lower end, I mean like six to 10, but now like who's to say that this is the last one. Like, how do we know that it's done yet? How do we know that there, there won't be more accusers? And with that in mind, we're still in June, like the NFL is still like what, three months away. So we could, we can have 24, 25, 26, like who knows, which is terrifying to think about. And there was another thing that came out saying that, he was paying um, whatever whatever the massage place was, like $5,000 a month to find women for him. Like the more details that come out, it just looks awful for the NFL. And I mean, we probably knew it wasn't going to get here, but I think I, I think I agree with you, Steve, where it's, like, it's going to be a season. And if it's not a season, it's going to be like 12 plus games where the Browns are effectively like they, they're wasting a season here. I would be surprised if it's anything under double digits. I guess what, what I really want to know is, do we get to a point where the NFL like keeps it under wraps, like they tell the Browns, and like it doesn't get out until the last minute? Um, I guess that's what I'm more fascinated in, just because I, it, it's pretty clear that he's going to get a long time. You well, you think that their partners wouldn't want that, right? Like if you're 
you know, just to use as an example, right? Like the sponsor of the show, DraftKings. Like, if you're DraftKings, do you want like people betting on these games where they don't know who the quarterback is? Like, you'd think that if you're Roger Goodell, you want that thing addressed, you know, earlier rather than later. I, I think the short suspension thing came from the fact that Cleveland gave him so much money, right? And then the second aspect of it is the precedent of Roger Goodell with the Ben Roethlisberger situation. Um, the context of that has changed a lot, though, right? I mean, baseball just suspended Trevor Bauer. He's not going to come back until, you know, into the 2024 season, um, suspended for two years for domestic violence and assault policy. Um, when you hear things like Deshaun Watson being up there and saying, like, yeah, she cried, but then, like, won't say why a, a masseuse cried, like, I, I don't know. And the fact that there's like even more uh, accusers and, you know, potential victims still out there is, is crazy. Cause remember we were talking about this at the deadline, right? Like Miami was trying to get a deal done where he was going to settle a bunch of cases and then they were going to be able to trade him. Houston decided, Hey, if he's going to settle the cases, then what we're going to ask for in a trade is going to be higher. Um, and lo and behold, there's even more people out there. So, like, who says that, like, even if those would have been settled, that this wouldn't have been going on right now and the Miami Dolphins would have to be dealing with it. So, this story just won't die. Um, it feels gross. I, I don't know. I, I legitimately don't know what the league is going to do. Obviously, there's a ton of bad PR from league management right now. I don't know if this they're going to take the opportunity to say, like, hey, let's get a, you know, public relations win here when, you know, you have the whole Washington situation they're about to have they might have to go to congress and and talk about this stuff um with them it's it's not great the other thing too that i i it's important to mention every single time nfl owners are still the mafia right like they, they are a cartel um they seem to be very mad in general about the cleveland browns giving deshaun watson a fully guaranteed contract that is not only going to impact uh, them, but the entire, you know, league wide market for quarterbacks. And I think the fact that Baker Mayfield hasn't been moved and uh, no one has offered like, hey, you eat part of the money, we'll take on part of his contract and give you a draft pick. Like the fact that that trade hasn't gone down yet, I think is a response from ownership saying, no, if Cleveland, if you're going to pay Deshaun Watson all this money, then you're going to have to buy out Baker Mayfield. So I don't know if they win it just like, say, hey, just hit him with the book. Like, we hate what, you know, Brown's ownership did to the quarterback market, so let's punish them, you know, for this in an inadvertent way. I, I don't think it's coming from a good place, and it probably isn't going to come from a good place. But if there is punishment, I think that's an important aspect of it too. Yeah, I, I do think there is something to that. Like, the NFL and these other owners kind of wanting to punish Cleveland uh, just – because that's going to affect their negotiations at some point. So I, I think there is something to that. And I think that's, that's part of it on top of the lawsuits and everything. And if you want to find the details, like KP was talking about, about his most recent lawsuit, like they are horrific. I, I don't want to get into all of them on the show, but you can go find them on Twitter. They're pretty easily accessible. There's tons of write-ups about it. Um, it. It's just looking at it from where it's kind of changed from a couple of months ago to when, when he got traded where it felt like, man, this, this is really over now. Like this, this guy is going to wind up playing like Cleveland wouldn't give him all this money and give up all these assets to where it's at. Now it feels like we're just in a completely different climate where it feels like just totally inevitable that he's going to wind up being suspended for at least the entire next season. I would have to imagine it's, it, it's just, it's just such a bad look for the NFL to 
allow him to play any games and, and the Washington stuff too. I, I think that they're interested in trying to create some positive PR right now. So I, I would have to imagine there's going to be a lengthy suspension coming for Brown's quarterback Deshaun Watson, but let's get into some of our year to flame out candidates. We begin in the NFC West and mine. I don't, I feel like maybe this is just obvious. Um, I, I picked San Francisco 49ers running back Trey Sermon and KP can speak to the situation with Trey Sermon better than I can, but you know, he was a guy that they drafted fairly highly in last year's draft and going into the season, it was kind of expected at least amongst like fantasy people that Trey Sermon was going to have a huge role in this Kyle Shanahan offense. And he was going to have a huge opportunity to produce right away because they went up and got him in the draft and he's a talented young running back. And then Elijah Mitchell kind of came out of nowhere. But then as we move further into the season, like, Trey Sermon was just a healthy and active for a lot of the season. And Kyle Shanahan seemed to just not really like him much as a player. And the way the 49ers just shuffle through running backs anyways, like it just seems like they're going out of their way not to give Trey Sermon playing time. And I don't know if that's going to improve this season. So I just don't have a lot of faith in him building on his NFL career in year number two. When you trade up for a, when you trade up in the third round for running back and the next year, you draft a running back in the third round. That tells you about the previous year's third rounder. So, I mean, they talked about what they what they saw with Sermon and why he wasn't on the field. He was just hesitant. And in his own scheme, one, or essentially that's prim- primarily the Fort Nash's run wide zone. And there are obvious gap schemes incorporated in here. But he was just too hesitant. He was too patient. He would stop his feet in the backfield. And he would never really get downhill. Like he just he wasn't decisive. And when you're not decisive in Kyle Shanahan's offense, you're not going to get the job done. Um, and he really just didn't bring much else to the table. So he doesn't have like the game-changing speed like Raheem Mostert does. Um, Trey Sherman's not a t- the type of running back who's going to just plow through tackles. It seemed like a lot of times he just died on first contact. So like I can understand why you would pick him. There's not much to go off from last year anyway, so it's kind of an easy choice. But it's it's weird because in college he was good. Like at Ohio State, especially down the stretch, especially in that second half where he's running. I know it was Northwestern, but you don't just rush for 300 yards. And he had a few games, I believe, where he was over like 150, 200. So you thought, you know, especially in a Kyle Shanahan offense, that he would hit the ground running as a rookie. And it just never happened. And I don't know that it will. I look, I look at it like he can't be worse. <laughs> so yeah. um, I, I didn't pick him. I actually went with Elijah Mitchell, his teammate, who he did have a, a good season statistically. Like he had over 900 yards. I don't know that he's going to get any better. I feel like he left a lot of meat on the bone last year where um, like, sure, like there were holes there and he had some long gains here and there, but you never really watched the 49er like, wow, like Mitchell looks like the future. Um, he was just, a product of what was there is the best way that I would describe him. I don't think he has any sort of like lower body power leg drive to um, be able to break tackles. Like sure guys bounce off him here and there, but um, uh, Mitchell just, he leaves a lot to be desired. And that's why we're seeing um, the Fort Niners draft Ty Davis price at LSU running back. And I also would add that uh, Mitchell's injuries is another big reason why I, I just don't think he's he's built to stay healthy and be an every down back in the NFL. Uh, who's your NFC West guy, Justice? I actually have two. Um, I'm going to pick a defensive guy because you guys, I'm looking at your list right now. It's a ton of offensive guys for you guys. <laughs> Go uh, offense. Z- 
Zay Zay uh, Zayvon Collins, the linebacker from Arizona, he got benched last year for Joe Walker during a stretch. He ended up regaining that starting job, but he really had a lot more difficult of a time than I thought he was going to have transitioning to the league. Um, we'll see kind of how how that moves, you know, moving forward. But Joe Walker, I mean, was picked up off of the street and was starting games for the Arizona Cardinals there. And then the other guy I would say is wide receiver Tutu Atwell for the Los Angeles Rams. You know, the signing of Allen Robinson, you know, signifies that, that they were going to move in a different direction. Um, he really was drafted in the second round and run jet sweeps. And they've kind of gotten away from a lot of those jet sweep stuff. Like, it's not like they don't motion anymore, but they're not sure not giving those handoffs to Tutu, I guess is the way to put it. So I, this guy's 140 pounds, man. Like, if, if you're not going to run jet sweeps with them, I don't know what else you're going to do. So those are my two guys. I, I'm still flabbergasted at the Tutu thing. I couldn't believe it when the pick was made. I couldn't believe it in the pre-draft process when people called him a first-round pick. I legitimately worry about him, you know, when he's on the field and he got banged up his first year too. So real quick with Tutu, what do you think they envisioned his role would be like at the NFL? Like if, even if you ignore Run the jet, jet sweeps. sweeps. Well, it's, even if you ignore that. What else did he do? <laughs> yeah, like I guess that's what he did a lot at Louisville. Yeah. But still. What are you going to do? Run deep? Like you're going to press him. He's 140 pounds. Even if he didn't run deep, you have a linebacker five yards off. He's going to get a hand on you. And if he reroutes you, you're done. Like, it's a wrap. The route is over. So, I mean, maybe he just – I imagine one of the coaches got into the scouting thing late and saw a bunch of highlights and big plays and saw that he runs fast. But, man, Rams – they get away with a lot of this because they win so much, but they – there's a reason that they don't draft a lot. Let's just put it like that. That's – for a team that was noticeably drunk at the NFL draft this year, <laughs> like that was one last year. You look back at it, you're like, oh, were they are they just crushing tall boys or something over a there? Pick. Yeah, yeah. What what are we doing, Rams? Yeah, it still doesn't make sense, but uh, we'll see if Tutu Atwell finds a, a role for himself this season with the Rams. Uh, moving on to the NFC East, I selected Giants wide receiver Kadarius Tony. Um, I don't really understand the obsession with Kadarius Tony as a player. Like he had that one monster game last season where I think he had like 180 something receiving yards. And that was really like it where he's shown some flashes. I know he's an explosive player and he's got a a lot of, a lot of juke and Twitch and stuff like that. But everything that we've seen about him so far is that like, you know, former coaches questioning his work ethic and how much he loves football and all that stuff. And I try not to get into that stuff and, and mostly pay attention to what the guy's actually doing on the field. I just don't really see it. Um, you know, they do have a new coaching staff, Brian Dable, and I think that's going to elevate the entire team, but they're already kind of deep at wide receivers. So I just don't know if Kadarius Tony is really going to have this like massive role change or like massive improvement in year number two. I just don't really have a lot of faith in him as a player, I guess. That game you're talking about was against the Cowboys, and the score was 44 to 20. Like the game was not close. <laughs> I don't know how many you know plays that actually impacted the game. So he had some games where they were force feeding him the ball, and still nothing. He had a game later on in the season, 11 targets, and he ended up with 40 yards receiving. Um, he seems like a gadget type of player, which might which might not be giving him enough credit. I could see him being like a quality slot guy, but he's he's the worst version of Garrett Wilson. I think um, 
in the same vein where he just takes way too many steps to get in and out of his break as a route runner. And he takes the, um, you remember the Braxton Miller rep from the senior bowl way back when, like that's who Kadarius Tony really reminds me of when he runs routes. He just, he takes the creativity level to a whole other um, branch where you, you just can't do that in an NFL game. And maybe he's going to come out refined. Maybe he's going to figure it out this year with like an offensive guy in his corner in day ball. But um, yeah, I don't know how much better he's going to get. It's great to get the ball in his hands because like he is very good with the ball in his hands, but you have to get the ball in his hands first. And that is a lot easier said than done. Yeah, for sure. He, he's, he's my pick too. And like you mentioned, you know, ball in his hands, that's not the problem. If you wanted him to be a, a returner, like Tavon Austin stuck around the league forever just because he could punt return, right? Like I wouldn't, last year he's on the, on the Jags. Yeah. Like I wouldn't be surprised if that was kind of like what, Kadarius Tony ended up being, uh, you know, at, at this level, but he was a converted quarterback, right? Going from high school to college. At college, he had one year of production. You could tell he was freelancing a ton of routes. I'm not super surprised. Remember, he was like floated out on the trade block, like draft week. Like, I'm not surprised that that happened, you know, with a new coaching staff, a new general manager. I, I just don't think that this is like a soft landing spot for Tony. Like, do the Giants really have the ability to just run a bunch of little auxiliary plays for him? Probably not. They probably need like a full blown wide receiver, right? So like, I don't know. Outside of him being a punt returner, um, I don't know what I love about his game right now. You can run those auxiliary plays when your quarterback's Aaron Rodgers, and you can be, like you have somebody to right. bail you out on third down. <laughs> like you can't run those auxiliary plays when you have Daniel freaking Jones because if that doesn't work on first or second down. Now you're staring at third and eight, and good luck. Well, a lot of those auxiliary plays, too, are off of, like, jet motion from under center, right? Like, what's one thing Dayball didn't do? Like, you didn't really go under center. They were in the gun more than anyone else in the league. They were using tight ends, fewest of any, like, true, like, hand-in-the-dirt tight ends, fewest of anyone in the league. So, I don't – again, it's, part of it is the player. Part of it is the landing spot. Part of it is the fact, you know, the coaching staff, jet manager have turned over. I, I just don't think this is a good situation for him. I mean, Steve mentioned the depth at wide receiver. New coaching staff, a year after taking a wide receiver in the first round, comes back and drafts a wide receiver in the second round, who is essentially a slot receiver, like Wondell Robinson. He's like 170 pounds. So uh, he's probably going to take all those auxiliary reps that we're talking about here. So uh, sorry, Tony, but it looks like the coaching staff doesn't believe in you either. They probably also want to figure out, like, what do we have in Kenny Galladay? We gave Kenny Galladay a bunch of money, and he's going to need to be our number one wide receiver. Like, it's – yeah, I just don't think it's a favorable situation for Kadarius Tony to, like, get more meaningful snaps and reps this season. Like, it just seems like the coaching staff is ready to move on and figure out what they have in some of these other players. Uh, did you give us your pick in the NFC's KP? So I listed Landon Dickerson, and when I when I listed a couple guys on here, it's more of like, will they be able to play as well as they did as a rookie? So in Dickerson's case, I imagine he's going to be the target on the Eagles offensive line. Like everybody has a guy that they're going to try to get their one-on-ones against and get over on. So he was fine last year, but he had some passing reps and like his blown blocks against the pass are not great. But he only gave up three sacks. He only had one penalty. He only allowed three stuffs. Like, for a rookie, that is great. And he played essentially all season. He started 13 games. I have a hard time – and I know he's a year removed from injury and it's supposed to be better, but I just don't know if that's sustainable, man. It, it just seems like for these guys, for some of these guys I'm going to point out, 
some some type of regression to the mean is going to happen, and I feel like that's going to be the case with Dickerson. The other thing too is he he was hurt rolling around on the ground. I don't like that. And then he showed up uh, rehabbing in like overalls, right? That was Dickerson. <laughs> right. <laughs> I forgot about a lot, a lot of showmanship for linemen. You never want to see that. It feels like forever ago. I feel like that's I feel like that's what backup offensive linemen do. Like backup <laughs> offensive linemen show up to training camp with mullets and overalls and stuff like that. That's not what you get from your starting guys that, that you need meaningful play out of. Uh, moving on to the NFC South, I selected, and this one hurts me a little bit because I really liked the player coming into the season uh, last year, but it just did not work out for him as a rookie. I selected Panthers wide receiver Terrace Marshall. I, I didn't go into the season thinking Terrace Marshall was going to you know, break out and look like a superstar as a rookie or something like that. I just thought that he could be like a, a solid NFL wide receiver, like just he, he's a strong, thicker, like big body dude. And it just did not translate in his rookie year. Some of that is probably Sam Darnold and the quarterback situation and their awful offensive line and, and Matt rules play calling. But towards the end of the season, he wound up just being a healthy scratch for uh, a, a lot of games on the back half of the schedule. And that's not something you want to see from a team that was not in playoff contention, like a, a team that was bad and should have been playing their young guys and trying to get those guys opportunities so part of it is that, and part of it is I, I just don't have faith in what the Panthers are going to do this season. I, I just don't think there's a lot there for him to continue to develop as a player and take a big step forward in year number two. I, I, I wish it was different, but I just don't think it looks positive for Terrace Marshall. So remember when you ran like a 4-3 and everybody was like, whoa, like where did this come from? Because when you're watching those, you never really saw that. And you mentioned how he kind of was phased out. So Marshall started the season off and you would, he, he started the season off like a player who was involved in the offense after week five, though, he never had more than three targets. That is not a good sign for your second round pick. And I think there's probably a good chance that like Rashard Higgins takes that spot. Right. And with that in mind, I don't know where the opportunity is going to come from Higgins. And you mentioned the quarterback issues last year. If they had issues last year, what's it going to look like this year with a team that's going to be worse in almost every aspect around them? So, um, man, I, the pick was questionable at the time, and it's just not looking good a year later. I still kind of like the player, but this is this was not a great landing spot for him, right? Just in general, you guys have already touched on it, just, not just in terms of the offense, but the entire team. I mean – it really just feels like a lost year for the Carolina Panthers, right? Um, my pick, another defensive guy, Richie Grant, the safety out of Atlanta. He was picked in the second round, 24 years old. He played 25% of Atlanta snaps last year, um, despite only playing 275 snaps, which, you know, you assume half of those are, are run plays, half of them are pass plays. Uh, he, he gave up a passer rating of 103.4 which for a safety is is not good at all. 192 yards on 26 targets, uh, one touchdown, 105 air yards, 87 yak yards. Not great, dude. Not great. And Atlanta last year didn't have good safeties, right? And he couldn't see the field. So now, you know, with their situation right now with Eric Harris and Dean Marlowe, like if Eric Harris and Dean Marlowe are starting ahead of you in your second year when you're a 25-year-old, that that might be the last of you seen PT, right? So I, I think this is a huge year for Richie Grant. If he doesn't show something early, I mean, I think it might be just be you know done with that experiment. Well, they he was an all star 
um, or he, he played well in the all-star circuit and he started rising up the boards. I, I forget if it was the East West Shrine or the senior bowl, but um, I know he started to make a name for himself in the postseason last year and he was taken high. Like, it's not like he was like a later second round pick. He was one of the, uh, he was the eighth overall pick in the second round. And you mentioned yeah. his age, like that's a big deal because this is who he is right now. And yeah. this is probably always who he's going to be. Uh, one of the stats that you did not point out was his broken tackle percentage. That was not great. And he missed a tackle 21% of the time, which you want that number to be closer to seven, eight. So when you yeah. are three times that, uh, we are looking at a player who probably has a long way to go. But when again, we're talking about their age. This is who he is. So uh, swing and a miss, Atlanta. Swing and a miss. Yeah, I mean, you're taking a guy 40th overall, and he's going to play like three times as many special teams reps as he's going to play defensive reps. That's never a good look unless the guy's an offensive player. The The other pick, too, I mean, Jalen Mayfield for Atlanta. That would have been the other guy I would have brought up if they didn't swing and miss on Richie Grant. I mean, Jalen Mayfield, to me, was, if if not the worst offensive lineman in the league last year, who's consistently starting one of them. So, like, Atlanta, I know everyone gives him credit for Pitts. And, you know, Pitts certainly was a slam dunk. But Do you their next credit for picks Pitts? Were, <laughs> uh, probably not. I To be fair, I did bet the under on the Pitts uh, season-long yards. I was like, yeah, he's not going to break the receiving records for a tight end as a rookie. And he did. And I lost a lot of money. Mayfield gave up 11 sacks last year. He probably wow. gave up more. Wow. <laughs> 11's a lot. Is that the that's got to be near the top of the NFL, right? Dude, there was a time when like Jason Spriggs, I believe, came off the bench and like there was a noticeable difference. It's like, oh, Jason Spriggs is out there. Like Atlanta can kind of get in the groove a little bit. And it's like, that's about Green Bay Packers Spriggs. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. What are we doing here? the, The one guy who Green Bay has never been able to develop on the offensive line. Yeah. I mean, it's not good. Um, I, I don't, uh, I don't have approval of Atlanta's rebuild at this point. I feel like the Chiefs should try to trade Andrew Wiley to the Falcons <laughs> right now. Just a, a proven veteran who's who's a body. He's not going to be the worst offensive lineman on your team. He's not going to be anything close to the best, but he'll he'll give you meaningful reps at some point. Why don't I remember Mayfield at Michigan? So I know he's really young. So maybe he has that going for him. Maybe they he's just needed a year to get used to the NFL strength or whatever, but holy smokes, his numbers do not look good. Yeah, 11 sacks seems absolutely outrageous. Uh, Moving on to the NFC North, I did pick all offensive players. I didn't even really realize that when I put together this. I'm trying to tell yeah, (laughs) this is a fantasy football show now. Uh, I selected Green Bay Packers wide receiver Amari Rodgers. it's just, you know, obviously they drafted wide receivers. They they brought in some veterans. They're trying to kind of rebuild that group. And the Green Bay Packers would probably love it if Amari Rodgers took some huge steps in his development. But, uh, again, he's a player who was drafted reasonably high and expected to, you know, have some type of role or develop in some kind of way. But he was a terrible special teams player for them last season. He was uh, healthy and active for a lot of games, like just could not get on the field. And at, the, at one point it seemed like the Packers were just like, we would rather put anybody on special teams than you. And that's not great for a rookie wide receiver. Who's just trying to get any kinds of reps. So I'm not confident that Amari Rogers is going 
to take a big step forward this season or have a bigger role in the Green Bay Packers offense. And just before Justice takes over here, because, I mean, he's watched Rodgers, obviously. I'm not taking a wide receiver early in the draft if he can't run. If you can't run, you're just – you have to be able to overcome so much. Like, the odds are already against you. I mean, he's he was undersized to begin with. Yeah, he has, like, the genes, but you have to be able to separate. And you either are a guy like Cooper Cup who have insane feet and know how to use your body – or you're a burner and you can use your speed. Rodgers is neither, which makes him like he just has an uphill battle to climb. And um, it, like the odds are against him. If he, his quarterback is Aaron Rodgers and he's on this list, that's that tells you all you need to know. Yeah, I, I think there. We were talking about this before we went on there, but I legitimately believe there's a chance that he doesn't make this team. Like Christian Watson, uh, Romeo Dobbs, Samari Toure, all three draft picks. Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb, Sammy Watkins, those are three veterans. You're at six now. Is it worth keeping uh, Amari Rodgers if he's not going to be, you know, your, your punt returner, if he's going to be as bad of a punt returner as he was last season? It's probably not worth the roster spot. Like, I really do think that there's potential for, for that to happen. What did the Packers think that he would be? Was Because when you take a guy in the third round – you're not just thinking that he's going to be a returner. And you talked about his um, lovely returning numbers <laughs> before we logged on. But just as an offensive player, what was he going to be for them? I think he was going to be like a jet and around sweet guy who's big enough to block so they could keep him out there. Um, I think they were going to try to use him in the backfield. They are going to use him as a returner. I think they looked at him as like thick Randall Cobb. I think that's really what they – and in Randall, and I, you guys aren't in the uh, Packer media bubble, so I don't know if you guys realize this, but like, who, do you know who Randall Cobb's college coach was at wide receiver? Uh, Kentucky. Um, no. T. Martin. T. Oh, Martin is Amari Rogers' dad. There it is. T. Martin's Amari Rogers' dad. He also coached uh, Sammy Watkins, and he also the Packers brought in Velas Jones. Uh, T. Martin recruited. Velas Jones not only to USC but also when he transferred to Tennessee and the Packers bringing in all his him. boys in yeah dude like they're building the whole, they're building the whole plane out of T Martin wide receivers so yeah I mean there's a whole weird thing where like everything last summer was like Amari Rogers remembers like running routes with Randall Cobb when Randall Cobb was in college and like he was just a little tight and stuff like that but <sighs> I don't know man I don't know I I don't buy it Rogers is also my pick in the NFC North if you haven't been able to tell. I went with a Packers player who had a very successful season. Um, Eric Stokes, first-round pick. Blasphemous. Guy, guy who I did not think would be very good. Guy who proved me wrong very quickly. The reason that I list Stokes on this list is a lot of the reason, same reasons that I list um, Landon Donovan. And I actually think it would be easier for Stokes to fall off. Okay, he started every game. Or, yeah, he started every game, I believe, right? Did he miss any games? I don't think he did. Anyway, I don't believe so. Um, so he allowed a 46 completion percentage against, which is phenomenal. Like anything under, honestly, 53, you are having an outstanding season. Um, yards per target, you probably want to be under six and a half. So he allowed 5.3 yards per target. Um, he had double-digit pass breakups. He gave up three touchdowns, but that was on 93 targets. So, like, who cares? Um, he got his hands on a bunch of passes. I I believe he dropped a couple too, so he probably should add more than uh, just one interception. 
But Stokes looked like a confident player. Like the speed is there. We all knew that. I mentioned the um, the broken tackle percentage for uh, Richie Grant. Stokes only missed seven tackles, and that was 11%. Like every, all of his numbers, and just when you watch him play, he looks like a competent player who has a bright future. Cornerback is unquestionably, in my opinion, the hardest year-to-year position to sustain success. That's why we see names like Jalen Ramsey, Xavier Howard. Like these guys are elite because they can do that every year, every game, every snap. That's not going to be easy for Stokes to do again. Yes, he has Jair Alexander back. In my mind, that just means that teams are going to try him even more. It's going to be very, very hard to keep up what he did last year. And that's why I have him listed as the flame out, no matter what justice follows up. <laughs> flame flame out is very strong. I mean, it he is. was a very good player. He's a top. He was the top three corner in this past draft class. Like in terms of on-field performance as a rookie, right? Like I'm thinking I'd put Sertan, Sertan over him. And then I would probably put Asante Samuel Jr. in the same tier. Is that JC. fair? Yeah. JC didn't play, but he's better than Stokes. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I believe that. I'm just, I'm just talking about rookie years. Sure. The, the thing about Stokes is so much of it really is just makeup speed, right? Like he'll bite on a double move and he's playing, you know, off man or, or quarters or whatever it is. And he'll bite on a double move and then he's just so fast he can make it up. But it matters. I, it, it matters. But I also, I understand that not being something that's like, super sustainable year to year like maybe they can get you like if if the pass right like if the packers go down and this is what i would be more worried about if i'm stokes or stokes agent or anyone invested in stokes right if the packers are down rashawn gary and now their only pass rusher is like preston smith and you know kenny clark from the interior now if you can't put pressure on the quarterback does that put stokes in a position where he's getting double moved all the time and you know he's biting on stuff because he is an aggressive corner in terms of like biting stuff. That's why he can get his hands on the ball. Um, that was actually it- my first thought process was, okay, Zadarius is gone. Now what? Now teams. Zadarius wasn't there last year. In the broad <laughs> scheme of things for the Packers. So okay. knowing that, okay, now they might have time to run a blaze out, or like run those double moves or run maybe instead of he can sit on a 10-yard, 12-yard curl. Now we're running 15, 16-yard in-breaking routes and now he has to guard those. So I think the route tree will be a little bit different. And, and that was my initial um, initial thought. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Before so, we move on, I want to say, you said Landon Donovan instead of uh, Landon Dickerson. <laughs> Big sports guy here. Bozo. <laughs> so I, I guess. That was like four teams ago. Why did you wait so long for that? <laughs> so I guess on this podcast, we really just despise the uh, Packers 2021 draft yes. class. <laughs> just, just hey, what, Eric Stokes is good. That uh, <laughs> Eric Stokes is easily the best player on this list. I don't understand what's happening here. So those are our year two flameout candidates in the NFC. Let's take a quick timeout, and when we get back, we will get into those candidates in the AFC. That's coming up next on NFL University. <laughs> What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. 
Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back into NFL University. We are continuing our list of year two flameout candidates, players that you know, maybe were drafted high, that have potential, but maybe we're just struggling to see where they take a step forward in year number two in the NFL. And we're going to start in the AFC West. My selection, uh, Raiders offensive lineman, Alex Leatherwood. It was, I remember on draft night when they selected Leatherwood and it was like, and you always remember those picks when like social media just just like lights up like whoa what is that what what the hell is this team slot doing? machine timeline what yeah. what is going on here why did they just select Alex Leatherwood and it was one of those picks where you know I guess from the from the Gruden Mike Mayock era where like they just had draft picks and draft picks and draft picks and it seems like none of these guys are really panning out long term in the NFL overall. Alex Leatherwood is a really good example of that. Like this is a guy who was kind of getting moved around the Raiders offensive line last year and wound up playing at guard because he was just so bad at tackle and then was better at guard, but still not very good. Like not a guy that you take in the first round of the NFL draft. And now reports as we're getting into OTAs and stuff with teams are that Alex Leatherwood's not even going to be a starter for this team uh, on that offensive line. Uh, so it just doesn't look good for him as a player. Like he had a really bad rookie year and it just doesn't seem like things are looking better with a new regime in Las Vegas. How much of that was who he is as a prospect, as opposed to, you know, having to move around, play different positions. And cause he looks like a talented player. Like when you watch him, you can tell like there's athletic ability there. Um, maybe he's just a guy who just won't put it together. But again, this is a year two. So, I can see where you're coming from. I just I wouldn't give up on that that type of bill is what I'd say. That's kind of where I'm at too. Like I I don't hate the player, man. If he if he can't crack your best five though, in year two of you know new staff and stuff like that, like that's that's definitely a tough pill to swallow. Um, my guy Nick Bolton, I just don't I don't love the player. I think Kansas City could get better there. I wouldn't be surprised if. Somehow, you know, a veteran gets released, you know, near near the deadline and they were able to pick him up and, and plug him in as a starter. 
I wouldn't be surprised if Bolton got benched. Um, just don't love the player. Think the team has high aspirations. I mean, we were talking pre-draft, Stephen. Like we, we were talking about how you know maybe that was one of the teams that could have taken like a Nicobe Dean or something like that, right? Like it wasn't out of the realm of possibility that they would address linebacker again, even though that they you know they've drafted two of them before. So. Yeah, and they wound up drafting Leo Chanel in mm-hmm. this draft class, who uh, we're really high on at Arrowhead Pride. Like all of our guys seem to absolutely love him as a player and think he's going to find a role for himself in this defense. I'm with you on Nick Bolton. Um, he finished the season really strong after really struggling it early in his rookie year. And then once they kind of found the ways to best utilize him and kind of move Anthony Hitchens out of the way a little bit in that defense, like, he got better. I just question his explosiveness and ha- his athleticism and like his game speed just, I don't think is where you want it. Like he cannot cover anybody and has no business covering. He can't move. Like he is just a line of scrimmage linebacker who you want to stuff the run. And that's not really like, you need your linebackers to do a lot of stuff in the modern day NFL. So I, I think that chiefs fans are really high on him. And I kind of agree with you. I, I don't really see it. Like if if Leo Chanel and like Blake Martinez were starting for the Chiefs in like week eight, I'd be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Like they picked up Blake Martinez off a of free agency or something waiver claim. So the the player that I I didn't list him, but did, the Chargers didn't draft a wide receiver, and you know a lot of people thought wouldn't have been surprised if they did. They, they took Josh Palmer in the third round last year, who's essentially like a shot speed player. I don't know what to make of him. Like, I don't know. Obviously, he's an injury away from being a full-time player, but, like, he had a limited role. And whenever I watch the Chargers, whenever I watch what Herbert did, Herbert's making Palmer. Like, it's not the other way around. So, I don't know that Palmer's going to grow into a role where he's the difference maker as opposed to, you know, Herbert just putting the ball on his numbers and making sure he gets the stats, if that makes sense. So, I don't know that Palmer's ever going to be more than – what we saw his rookie year. What do you guys think of him? I mean, I've been locked up with you, but that's the wide receiver market now, right? Like if he, if he was a veteran and hit free agency, someone would pay him like three years for $30 million. Like just because he can run and get like, yeah, I mean, that's the standard now. Like everyone needs three of them. Someone's got to be able to run on the field. So I, I don't know. I, I don't hate the idea of him just like not developing. Like I'm very in tune with that. Like, um, this is who he is, is my way. Yeah, yeah that, that's kind of where I'm at with him. He's a player I considered, too, because I just, what I saw from him last year, like, I wasn't, like, I didn't feel like I saw a player, like, improve by leaps and bounds, like, as the season went on. But when they were just like, hey, just run deep, and Justin Herbert can launch at 50 yards, like, they found some success with that. And they need that, too, because... Keenan Allen and Mike Williams are really good at all the other stuff. And Mike Williams is, you know, a fantastic like jump ball wide receiver, but they still need that explosive guy. So I feel like he is going to be that, but I I just don't know how I feel about him. Like as a development wide receiver who could take his game farther than it is right now. Uh, Moving on to the AFC East. I selected New York Jets running back, Michael Carter. Um, You know, we've talked about the Jets draft class a lot on this podcast, uh, they, they go out and they draft Brees Hall. And I just think that Brees Hall is a better player. Um, you know, not, not to knock Michael Carter. I, I think that he's a fine running back. I, I just don't think that 
he's an every down back. I don't think that he's like a do it all type of running back. Like Brees Hall has an opportunity to be. And so really a a lot of this has to do with that. And I I understand they're going to want to use multiple running backs. I I just think that if you were viewing Michael Carter as like a number one running back last season, you're just going to be really disappointed if you're viewing him that way this year. Yeah. I mean, just like we talked about the 49ers, when you take a running back, the year after you just drafted a running back early, it's probably not a good sign for who you just drafted the year prior. And Michael Carter probably seems more like a guy who is a third down guy, um, who's, you know, somebody for Zach Wilson to throw the ball to out of the backfield, whereas Brees Hall, you can rely on him in every down. So just being an all-around back, I would imagine he has a better fit for what the Jets want to do. Um, you could probably pick any pass rusher in the AFC East and be good here. Um, I love Jalen Phillips. I don't know what he's going to do moving forward with Miami. I would have written down Boogie uh, Basham with the Bills. I know that in most cases, edge rushers probably take a year or so to get going. Excuse me. But if he couldn't crack last year, like how is he going to do now that Vaughn's going to get all those snaps? Like what's going to happen here? So like Boogie would be my answer. Um, Justice, what do you got? Yeah, I, I wrote down Boogie. I think I think you stole my pick. To be honest, um, okay, he was, their, he was their third round pick. Didn't get any starts. I he's probably the one guy. Like out of all the guys that I picked, I probably like the player the most. Um, I think he has a lot of potential to be like an inside outside rusher. But I mean, they drafted uh, Greg Rousseau ahead of him. He's a first round pick, and now they added Von Miller. So like at best, at very best, you're going to be the third edge rusher who is not going to start a single game unless, you know, an injury happens. So that that's less of a situation where it's like, oh, I don't think the player is any good or the situation is terrible as much as like, that's just a deep depth chart that you're going to have to work out of. Who did you like more coming out, Rousseau or Bashman? Rousseau, for sure. Rousseau was so weird, though. Rousseau, I feel like that's like a fair like, question. High, that should, high, that's high not a lot for a, a lot of people to answer because yeah. Rousseau had a ton of questions coming out. The first time I watched Rousseau, I was like, this guy is terrible. I hate him. And then I kept watching more and more of him. And I'm like, ah, I get why you would like this guy if this was the film you were watching when he was 19 years old and he was playing safety at high school. I feel like it's a totally reasonable thing to bring up to when you look at how much money they gave Von Miller. <laughs> like, like, because Von yes. Miller, like at his age, like. You know, we're seeing now where a lot of these veteran guys are like, you know, situational guys like they they can still come in and get you a sack in in a prime spot in the game as long as they're fresh or whatever. Like Von Miller was still a huge part of the Rams defense when they traded for him last season. And the Bills gave him a lot of money to play him like he is. He's going to get snaps. He's not he's not going to be a rotational pass rusher. He's going to be virtually an every down player, I'd imagine. So moving on to the AFC South. I selected Houston Texans quarterback Davis Mills. Um, You know, I understand the idea amongst Texans fans right now that like Davis Mills was in a terrible situation and he performed above expectation because there was no expectation for him and he was just in a bad situation. But I, I don't know how you guys, we haven't spent a lot of time talking about Davis Mills, I don't think, but I don't think Davis Mills is the guy. I don't think Davis Mills is a franchise quarterback. And I think the Houston Texans are probably just setting themselves up for failure by leaning into it and hoping that he develops and takes a huge step in year number two, even though I I do like some of the moves that they've made and the way they've improved their roster. I just don't think that Davis Mills is a guy who's going to take you anywhere and make some dramatic leap in year number two as a quarterback. 
this time next year, will Davis Mills be the Houston Texans starting quarterback? I don't think so. I don't, I don't know. I don't think there's that big of a difference between him and Matt Jones. I really don't. Like, it, it, you could convince me, like, him and Matt Jones, like, they're both okay. It'll be like, yeah. They'll be like, they'll both never win a playoff game. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of in that realm with them. So, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to see another year of Mills. It, I, I don't think I'm ready to sell stock on any of these rookie quarterbacks uh, or, you know, 2021 draft pick quarterbacks just yet. Even Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson was a guy I almost <laughs> took instead of Boogie Basham just because of how bad his rookie year was. But I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, give him another year. Because he did, I did like him coming out of college. I chose Colts edge rusher Deo Odebango. Vandy, guy that we've talked about a little bit. They they have a couple guys. They, they took Quiddy Pay as well. I thought um, you were going to say Quiddy. I was about to fight you. No, 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 no. Uh, we already have a Michigan guy on here. So um, the reason I pick him, and, and it's it, Essentially, it's going to come down to like which player do you think will perform? It would be Deo, or it would be Quiddy. So you have DeForest Buckner. They added Yannick, and I think just based on how they play, based on you know limited reps last year, Deo's probably not going to be a pass rusher at, at this level. So um, he's still young. Uh, he, he's going to be 23, I believe, by the time the season starts. He was taken in the second round, though, and you want to see some type of production out of, as a rookie, like some sort of flashes. And I think he only he didn't even have 200 pass rushing. Uh, pass rushes last year but still uh, the fact that we most people listening probably have no idea who this is for a second rounder I think that kind of tells you that I mean if you couldn't crack the Colts lineup last year a team that was desperate for edge rushers um, I, I don't know that he's going to live up to his second round status and the thing about the second round status is I think if you would have looked around pre-draft, like what what was the consensus on him? Like he was like a fourth round pick? Day three. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I don't think anyone thought that he was gonna go as high as he ended up going, which you know, sometimes calling your shot, you know, ends up working real well. Sometimes it ends up being a guy like this. So yeah, I I think that's a, a pick that's probably gonna get burned. Um my selection, Travis Etienne. Are we just we're just post injury now, especially with running backs? Like Cam Akers came back from an Achilles injury, and now everyone's like, "Yeah, injuries don't matter." It's like, dude, this guy had a Liz Frank injury. He had surgery on his foot. He was gone the entire year. Like, I don't know. He's a full go at Jags OTAs right now. He did say, "I'd like to be used by Debo." Who wouldn't? (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. There's so many Debo. It's a wonder why the San Francisco 49ers even want to pay Debo when they're all over. There's hundreds, if not thousands, of them just roaming around the earth. Yeah, I, what does I just, a good season look like for Travis Etienne? If he gets 750 yards rushing in that offense, and then like 300 receiving, so just thousand all purpose. Yeah, thousand all per all purpose in that Jags offense. I think that's a good year for him. That would be a tremendous year for him. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I don't have faith in that Jags offense, but. I mean, they don't know exactly when James Robinson's going to be back or if he's still going to have a role in the offense. I don't think – who's the other running back? Raquel Armstead. Like, I don't think he's going to worry about worry about Raquel Armstead taking any, like, meaningful touches away from him. So he's at least going to have an opportunity. Even well, they did, they did draft uh, Snoop Connor, the guy who was at uh, Popeye's when he got drafted. He didn't, <laughs> he didn't, he didn't think he was going to get selected in the draft, so he went to run – and grab Popeyes for his family on draft day. And he, he got a phone call from Jacksonville. It was like, hey, you're drafted. It's like, I can't believe it. 
That's so always great when uh, you draft a guy and he says, wow, I can't believe it. Are you sure? <laughs> right. Is this the Do you right have the number? right number? <laughs> um, at Clemson, ETN, you guys remember like how he scored those touchdowns? It was essentially just running to open grass where no defense was, and he would just outrun everybody. And yes, I know that he made a couple more plays than that, but I don't know how transferable that is to the NFL, man. Like he's going to have to essentially – I'll run everybody. Get just um, get caught on a linebacker, for example. Get caught in a mismatch and take advantage of that. And um, that you have to be very, very good to be able to consistently win one on ones in the NFL if that's how you're going to produce. So, like, um, I think I think he could be a kick returner. I don't think he's going to like flame out of the league, but like, he's a first rounder. Yeah, he's, if, you, he's a if you're drafting player. a kick returner in the first rounder, it's a fail. Yes, I agree. It. it, it not just the running back thing, not just the he's probably a better kick returner, you know, uh, ball in hand guy than an actual running back, but also the injury. Right. So it's like all three of those things coming together. Plus the fact he's in Jacksonville, which like they're probably going to run the fewest, you know, in, in the league. They're not going to have a lead. So, yeah, it, it is hard to have any faith in, in any Jacksonville offensive weapons this season, especially as we talk more and more about that football team. But uh, moving on to the final division, the AFC North, this one might be unpopular from me, but I selected Steelers running back Najee Harris. It's not that I, I don't think he's a talented player. I think he's a very talented player who's going to have a huge workload because we know Mike Tomlin and the Steelers, they like to lean on one running back and just give that guy a ton of touches. So at the very least, you know, he's going to get a bunch of volume and he's going to get a bunch of opportunity to produce in year number two. It, it's just, I, I continue to kind of do the dance with the Steelers where I talk myself into them and then I talk myself out of them because I just don't know what they're going to have in Mitch Trubisky and Kenny Pickett. And I just think that those question marks there are going to affect the entire offense and their offensive lines, not really any better than it was last season where it really struggled. And you know, Najee Harris only averaged like 3.9 yards per carry because that offensive line was just bad and he, he didn't have running lanes. And so I'm just struggling to see where he takes like this huge step in year number two, even with the volume and even with the opportunity that we know is a guarantee, just because I don't really have faith in the Steelers offense as a whole right now. Man. The fact that we have to list him here sucks just because I think we all like him. And it, it felt like last year was more of a product of his surroundings than the actual player himself. Um, at Alabama, he was great, man. Najee did a little bit of everything. And I wonder how different his usage will be because if you just look at their skill positions, like they have a ton of dudes who can make plays. So, like, one of the guys that I was going to list, who, who I think is a very good player, like the tight end Pat Fearmouth, um, Somebody's going to lose, you know, volume. It's, the ball can't go to all these guys. So you have Deontay Johnson. You have Chase Claypool. They just drafted George Pickens in, in the second round, which is, they seemingly do every year. But you would imagine he's going to be a focal point of the offense, Najee Harris. So where does that leave the tight end? Like how often do you remember Mitchell Trubisky? And who knows if Kenny Pick starts. But let's assume that Trubisky's a starter. How often do you remember Trubisky – gunning for a tight end, throwing the ball over the middle, throwing the ball down the seams. I don't, I don't know, man. And that's not really a, you know, an indictment on the tight end as, as it is the quarterback, but somebody's going to lose out. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's a tight end, which sucks because I think he's a very good player. I was hesitant to agree with you. And then I heard your points. I heard you out. The offensive line isn't good. 
their quarterback situation is going to be better. I mean, I guess the only the only positive thing for Najee Harris would be like Ben Roethlisberger isn't playing point guard anymore, so maybe they just like straight up hand the ball off a lot. And you know, Matt Canada did run a lot of like the Sean McVay type of stuff before he got to the Steelers. I wonder if now that Ben Roethlisberger uh, isn't under center and they have someone more athletic under center, maybe they do some of that. Um, one thing that came across uh, my eyes this week, I want you guys to guess uh, guess how many yards Najee Harris had in high school, in his, his high school career. For like in all four seasons? Yeah. Probably like something crazy, like five, 6,000 yards, right? He had 838 carries, 7,948 yards, and 94 touchdowns. That's just <laughs> rushing numbers. That's, so he, that's so not a receiving game. Dude, that's insane. He's getting 10 yards a carry. 25 touchdowns, uh, 25 touchdowns a season. That's absurd. So he's that talented of a player. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just skeptical about the situation. Unfortunately, no, I agree with you, and that's super unfortunate. Um, my pick, Jackson Carmen, the uh, guard for the Cincinnati Bengals. They drafted him in the second round last year. They had that weird stretch of the the uh, playoffs where they were rotating him in and out, uh, just based off of like who who's playing worse at guard at at any given moment. I don't really see it with him. He he's just a classic, kind of in that same bucket as Jalen Mayfield, where it's just like this guy saw the field last year, and when he was on the field, he was like one of the worst offensive linemen in the league. So if he doesn't take a big step up, I think he's probably gonna fall out of out of way of the uh, lineup pretty quickly. Just because I mean, they're not just gonna let Joe Burrow just sit back there and just get pummeled over and over and over again. Like they'll cut bait on a second round guard. That was another guy who was. Thought to go, you know, we thought we'd probably yeah, be through like and then like, fourth, fifth round. If you had wait, who? Second. Yeah. yeah, that that tells you they were desperate. And you, you talk about calling your shot, probably not going to work out. Yeah, but he played at Clemson. He played at a championship program. Trevor, um, they got to day two, and they were like, "Oh no, we haven't done anything." <laughs> Still a huge it, problem. Who's the who's the next available guy? Okay, let's go. Let's go. We got him. So those are our year two flame out candidates, guys that we're just unfortunately not super optimistic on um, as they head into year number two of their NFL careers. And, you know, optimistically, I hope that we are wrong about each and every one of them. And I hope that all of them do find a way to succeed. But we're looking at the situations and, and it just might not be very good for them in the upcoming year. But I, I want to be on record. I hope Kyle's very wrong about it. <laughs> I will let you know when I'm not. Trust me. Yeah. So we'll keep an eye on Eric Stokes uh, all throughout the upcoming season. But uh, we really appreciate you guys listening to this edition of NFL University. Please make sure you subscribe, rate, and review everything that we're doing on Apple as well as Spotify. You can follow Justice on Twitter at J-U-M-O-S-Q. You can follow KP at KP underscore show. I'm Stephen Serta. That's where you can find me. We'll talk to you guys next week. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.